Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ethics in football, we dug ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy answers, but there's one thing I know. Now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast. Boys, I think I hear that banjo. god actual people are in here this means that we got to uh there we go rippy's in the oh, biz. how goes can you yeah am i here yeah can you hear me can yeah can you hear me i'm just making sure this worked uh having a request button for me to speak is probably the wisest move this company's made in a while yeah i think that uh the unfortunate part is uh the person that they put on the approval end is me so um <laughs> before just flying by the seat of our pants. Uh, what happened in college football this week? I'm I'm looking to get all of our college football talk in before KP hops on. Uh, I guess we'll let him do the intro whenever uh, whenever he gets here. And he says three minutes. He's at a team dinner. I don't know what that means. He's he isn't on a team. Yeah, that's got to be his. Uh, that's what I say. It's got to be his team at work, right? <laughs> what if we we found KP is just like. At the, at the Clemson, like, spring recruiting lunch right now. Can you hear me? This is... Rip, you got me? No? Well, it looks like Colin of the Mazadcast is in here. Colin, I don't know what you are doing in here. This is... Uh, legacy SEC football only right now, sir. We can't take anything, anything west of Mississippi. Even though we right now are in Louisiana, we do not recognize uh, in this chat LSU as a member institution. Um, All right. Rip, you back? No? Oh, oh now I'm we, back. We got life. Okay, I think it's a headphones thing. Bear with me. Hold on two seconds. No, you're good. You're good. The best part about Locker Room is that it is somehow even lower production value on our end than a regular podcast. Um, and so we get to export this thing live to the RSS feed soon. About to say, before I forget, I'm sending you my RSS feed now. I was actually looking that up as we got on. 
Ooh, hell yeah. What did y'all talk about this week? Uh, we did some Ole Miss baseball. I had – so that guy that sponsors the the show with me that owns the meat uh, shop is also known as a butcher shop, I would say. Is, uh, is I would say, your salt-of-the-earth dude's dude. dude like he, he just kind of rips around a little stoned all the time. He loves horse racing. Like He's gotten in big in horse racing. And so we had a grill corner earlier in the week where people just took his grilling questions – and like I didn't know what to expect. I didn't think he'd be bad at it, but that man knows how to like grill anything and everything. I don't know shit about grilling, and I had a great time with it. The guy was the guy was a riot. That sounds fun. It was. I mean, I I I live in I have so the place that I currently live is I have I, I technically have access to the grill. So I live in a duplex, but it's not like the New Orleans typical shotgun where it's side by side. It's like my landlord lives directly below me and then I live on the second floor. And so the grill and patio area is like right outside the first floor. And like the first day we moved in, they're like, yeah, y'all have access to it. Yada, yada. But it wasn't one of those like we want to see y'all back here type things. And so uh, it has now been like four and a half months and I haven't even thought about grilling something out there. He's uh yeah, that's a, I know what you mean where it's like, yeah, sure. Feel free to use that. The way the conversation actually went, it's like, actually, please don't, but I'm not going to, I'm not as big enough of a dick to tell you no right now to your face. Yes, exactly. And it uh they've had quite the crawfish boil out there, so at least somebody's getting to use it. It's uh it's pretty oh. sweet though. He's uh he's like he, like if you subscribe to the newsletter I have or whatever, like if you walk in the store and just show the subscription, like proof of subscription, that dude hooks it up. He's giving out pounds of spicy ribeye sausage for free the other day if you subscribe. That's pretty solid. Hell yeah. He's a, he dude, I love Wait, now, Greg. Here we he's go. Awesome. Here we go. Here we go. What is spicy ribeye sausage? Can we so, get a? Yeah. So, Greg, I'll tell you what, man. You uh, you come to Oxford, Mississippi, and you roll into LBs. They experiment with all kinds of stuff, like sausage and all kinds of like interesting meat cuts. And it's basically the best I can gather. He kind of cuts the sausage like you would a ribeye steak, and infuses it with some kind of spice mix and some kind of seasoning as well that's cooked into the sausage. And boy, is it good. But that's I would say that's one of about nine or ten kind of exotic sausages they have. If I'm not mistaken, he had some kind of sausage with like apple or blueberry in it at some point. Uh, he's really just a meat scientist. I, I, I will say if we ever rebrand this podcast, um, what, it, what did you call it? Experimental sausages. I think that is a, a, a good a – good, uh, I don't know what whatever God was doing when he tried to create me, you and KP. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Print the shirts now. Just us three standing up our faces on some sausages, the experimental sausages. Now, now here's a que- here's a question that I do not have the answer to. If we're talking a little baseball, um, what is what's been going on? I feel like I haven't seen many of those bratwurst races. Have they like? I've been to a couple of NBA games. What What is the deal with uh, in-arena in uh, MLB entertainment, right? in-arena college entertainment right now? My guess is, uh, just and this is just a guess based off what Ole Miss has done, is they probably nixed it pre-COVID last year, like or during COVID, thinking that, okay, if we're in our home stadiums, we're not going to have any of this. 
Because think, how does this make sense? Ole Miss, I don't know if you've seen, is now at full capacity for their baseball stadium. They have like okay, thank, okay, eleven thousand so, so, weekend. So I don't want to yeah, cut you ahead. off there, but I saw I saw one of the home runs and the beer throws, and I, I know that the they could do the outfield with the the beer stuff because it's not technically like within the campus or stadium or whatever. But then I looked at the stadium, and. This sounds crazy when I'm going to say this, but thank God, I guess, at least it's at full capacity. And that is an Ole Miss's version of like 25% capacity. That's the only thing I have to say about that, because that place is fucking packed. Yes, it's absolutely slammed. But what's funny is you talk about the on-field entertainment. They do those solo cup races, which needed to, honest to God, be retired like five years ago. That got uninteresting by like 2015, but they still kept doing it. But they still don't do the solo cup races for COVID reasons. So it's 11,000 sweaty dudes just packed into a stadium. But people in a solo cup costume cannot run down the third baseline. So maybe they've just nixed all kinds of entertainment. Maybe the sausage race is never coming back. I hope that's not so. That'd be a real shame. The best – the single best – uh, in, in-game entertainment that I have seen was the the Braves race the Flash thing. Yeah, that's inventive stuff. Whoever got that, I hope they got a raise in promotion. I wonder what that because I wonder like I mean that guy is like legit fast, but like I wonder where you find like just is that just like a Georgia Tech track student or something? Because it's like I feel like if you're a professional athlete, that is way above your pay grade or way below your pay grade. But it's also like, where are you getting people that can just hawk down the normal dude from like half, like double the total distance? Like no one's no, 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 no professional like runners making up. I I don't know. Is that like side gigs for people trying to make uh, the the U.S. Olympic team? I, I was going on the same trail as you were to where I think that's a Georgia State or Georgia Tech some local-ish area college, the guy that was probably pretty damn good at, like, sprints or something on the track team. Because if you don't play another sport, like, you're you're stealing in terms of, like, professional track. Like, you got to be just filthy. I mean, you're talking almost, like, Olympic level from the base level knowledge that I have from it. So it's probably some guy who's just ridiculously fast and uh, kind of capped out his uh, track career. And they're like, how about you come run on some dirt and uh, beat some frat kids a couple times a week at SunTrust. I would say, if I were in that position, I were that fast, I'd be like, sign me the hell up. It it really must suck to be like, imagine being like the 25th fastest man in America. Like, do you know how insane, there are like 160 million men in America. And imagine being like the 25th fastest and you, you I don't think can do anything with like like i i don't think you can turn that into a monetizable skill like unless nope. because I, I don't know i mean like you might be talking so- about the flash how do we know that the flash is not exactly that <laughs> i mean like it is a little bit ridiculous in, in a sport like that that the margins are just so thin because it's like yeah i mean if you aren't like if you're not currently in college where you are improving your times then it, like like it, the 25th fastest guy older than 21 years old has to be like really miserable just because it's like, what, what am I doing here? This is, I, I mean, as someone who's six, eight and it's just an absolute waste of athletic potential. I mean, I, I guess I have to feel for him. Just nothing to do with it. I, I got a mailbag question earlier this evening. We recorded our Friday show a few minutes ago. and it was, Someone was like, would you rather gain a hundred pounds 
of weight or lose 15 inches of height. And I was like, I don't even have to answer this, bro. If I lost 15 inches of height, like, I'd have to be worried about people's feet hitting me. Like, I, I don't even – that was a non-sequitur for me, but I thought of you. Because if you lost 15 inches of height, you would be slightly shorter than normal? Is that – I, 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 I was working I the lost, numbers on that. If I lost 15 inches of height, I would be five foot five. Okay, so maybe under you would basically be my height. I would be like an inch taller, yes. inch and a half taller than you on my best day. Yeah, so that would be. Uh, oh man, that see that that's a very like that's a to- no no like how long do you have to maintain yourself at that weight is the question. He said it was permanent. I went with the weight because one, I need to gain some weight. But if I lost fifteen inches of height, you're talking about people sticking me in ovens. Or whatever yeah, that, that Project X scene is where they put the little guy in the oven. Yeah, you could be extreme. I, I was about to say, there, if you know you're going to end up losing 15 inches of height, there is some sort of wee man angle that I think you might be able to take with it. Oh, that's where I was headed. The, well, I, I went Project X, which is probably not the greatest example. But yes, wee man, like, please shoot me out of a cannon, whatever. Like, yeah, I would I would call up Johnny Knoxville if I lost 15 more inches of height. It's basically what we're saying. Yeah, someone was do, – do you remember – I mean, do you remember Vern Troyer, the, the actor who died recently? The I think he was – was he mini-me? He was, he was so – they were – but they were showing how, like – the difference in height between like him and Wee Man, like basically cast as like short people and things, and Wee Man is like four foot three, and Vern Troyer was like two foot two or something. Like it was like it was in, it, like an insane difference. Yes, dude, you just made me. I, I would, when you said Wee Man, I was like, no way, he died. You're exactly right. So he was two six, two six, two six. Oh my. Oh my word. That is because there's, I, this is probably uh, just very nearing territories that we absolutely should not <laughs> touch on. Um, I don't really know the difference between, uh, I know there's like dwarfism and then I know that I, I don't know. One of them, I think you were like born where like, like just smaller. And there's one where like your head is the same size, but you're like your limbs. There's something that, I don't know. My girlfriend's in med school. She was trying to explain it to me, and there, I, I, I'm going to throw her under the bus here. She's on the hot. <laughs> she's on the hot seat. Um, yeah, th- th- this is what we get when we don't have KP here. Just absolutely no semblance of anyone to put us back on the rails. Pretty much, but I was enjoying going off the rails. Like, yeah, but too at the same time, if you're two eight and you become famous, what the hell could you not do? I would not question Vern Troyer's ability to do quite literally anything. Also, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you're that small and you walk around somewhere with confidence, no one's going to like it, it, it packed movie theater. You just walk on in. If you do that confidently, I don't know if anyone is going to cause a, a, a fracas uh, in, in the middle of any public place. Yeah, they're, they're leaving you alone. It's like, I don't want to screw with that guy. I don't know what he's capable of. Well, speaking of walking around places confidently, though, I'm sure that you have like experienced this in some capacity. Um, I had thought about this with some of my friends for like big Georgia games that they didn't have tickets to. When I was working as the meet like in, in media, if you walked somewhere with a big camera confidently, no one was stopping you. Like 
if you had like uh, I don't know if you remember that Ole Miss game that we covered together, but like I had I had the the massive glug of a camera set up, like like the the like on field one as well as like shooting. I found like I mean, yeah, I had my media like pass, but it was like rolled up around my arm. Like people could never see it. Like if you just walk places dressed as you should be like like basically as 98 percent of the other people are in the press box in like khaki pants or khaki shorts and a polo and you have a big amount of media equipment you can get into the media gate almost no problem dude you just gave me a hell of an idea because this happened you're one you're dead on you're exactly right because you've seen a couple of these stories go viral back in the day where someone snuck in with a fake credential or whatever a buddy of mine named taylor fields who I don't know him very well. Like he went to state and he was from Columbus, Mississippi. We knew each other a decent bit in high school. His profile, I just pulled him up on Facebook. His profile picture is still this. He did exactly what you're talking about. He went suit no tie look with a camera and got on the floor for game seven of the 2016 NBA finals as a fake credential. No. Yes. I'm going to send you his profile picture on Facebook here right now. Honestly, I haven't talked to this guy in a while, but like I feel like that's a that's quite the untold tale. Like how how does that work? That would be a fun series to run is like profiling people that have just completely bullshitted their way into unbelievably high level events. I'm about to go find that so this guy, you think you and I are degenerate. This guy would put both of us to shame. So it's very clearly that what I'm about to send you is obviously not real. Like, this man was nowhere near qualified to be there. I think he was like an ag major at Mississippi State. But that's a, I mean, you said you said Mississippi State. You didn't have to clarify ag yeah, major. Exactly. exactly. And this man threw on a suit, had a fake credential, and walked around with a camera for a hot second, and is walking around the NBA Finals. You're exactly right. Like, what in the world? Oh, my. Look at this guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you – no he's on the I stage mean, on the court okay for people that that obviously no one else can see this picture that i'm looking at just imagine if like conor mcgregor were uh, like in an sec fraternity <laughs> but but didn't have the tattoos and yeah you pieced him up in a suit that's holy shit this is unbelievable yeah this is like he is he is on the is this after the game this is after the game. After the stage has been set up. Dude, I'm about to, to send you a couple more photos. This, oh I'm looking through God. his uploads. This is insane. Look at this photo he has of Hold up. I'm just gonna send him one by one by the best yeah. ones. This is great stuff. This is insane. Look, it's LeBron holding the trophy. I gotta oh. get this guy on the podcast. Speaker request. Look who it is. Kevin Paul in the biz. What What's up, family? KP, we're, we are currently discussing, I don't know how long you've been here. Uh, I haven't. Uh, one of uh, a man that Rippy knows or just a rogue Mississippi State man straight up snuck into game seven of the NBA finals. And I am looking at him in pictures right here next to LeBron James with the NBA champion, the Larry O'Brien trophy. There is one that it appears he is right next to Kyrie Ir- Kyrie. Look at that Irving. last one, Stevens. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Are you... <laughs> He, he, that's him and Adam Silver. Oh, I mean, this is like the 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 apps. Oh God, this 
this just harkens me back to the story. Uh, in 2019, no less than three years later, the general manager of the Toronto Raptors was not allowed onto the court after they won the finals. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, damn. And this random jackal and this, just ends and, up... And, <laughs> this random, this random dumb, dumb Mayo Mississippi State man is here taking a picture with Adam Silver after the biggest finals game in NBA history. Of course, I mean, yeah, why not, man? Just, why, just, <laughs> just live your life. Life is all about taking chances. Am I right? This is absolutely awesome. Yeah. So KP, we've covered. Um, I think the difference between uh, dwarfism and not dwarfism. Okay. Um, we have Sounds hit on uh, – yeah, I don't even really know. It def- absolutely, absolutely no football talk. Oh, we talked about uh, promos for um, – th- this is something I, I meant to ask, Rippy. Something that is um, uh, my roommate and I always like to um, – the question when we see a bat like a bad like specifically pelicans like timeout promo is like i want to know what was on like the chopping block what was on the cutting floor to where you said no this is not we have to go with this dog shit that you're showing me right now i need to see what was cut what was uh, it it is absolutely unbelievable the low production quality of some of these things they should put us in charge of every single nba promo Oh, yeah, KP. I mean, wh- wh- why not? Yo, what up? KP, I'm looking at something right now that uh, is uh, – we are the world's most ethical college football podcast. Uh, hearkening from our uh, our brothers in New York, Cookies Hoops, the world's most ethical uh, NBA basketball podcast. And I just looked like I got an ad for them on Instagram. Yo. Have, they gone, have they gone corporate on us? No. Oh. Did you get an ad or is I got, their most, I got, is their most recent post just very ad looking? No, no, no. I got in my stories when I was scrolling through. I just got a buy some cookies hoops merch ad. Ooh. They're selling out to big Instagram. Again, again, we are absolute degenerate swindling cheapskates. And so we will be two-faced and call ourselves ethical while taking money from places like eBay and Bet Online, But – they're supposed to be uh, of a higher standard than we are. Eh, I don't know, man. Just when, when when the Zuckerberg bag comes calling, you can't say no to it. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Mark Zuckerberg, tell me what tell me what we need to. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? Do we have to go be like a child soldier on your island in Hawaii or something? I'll do it. I, I would absolutely not do that. Um, that's, I think that child soldiers may have more responsibilities than soldier duties. Um, but <laughs> you know, hypothetically, hypothetically, uh, right? So I, I wanted to complete non sequitur here, but um, Rippy, you are our resident Ole Miss expert and our resident Oxford Mississippi expert. And I don't know how I haven't mentioned this to you yet, but a few. You know, weeks ago, we had just one of those random, like, coffee chats with one of my teams at work. And it's just 15 – we take 15 minutes every week just to chat about nothing even semi-work related. And the topic for that week was, what is your favorite restaurant from your college town? And I did not know this until, you know, this meeting. I have an Ole Miss grad on my team, and she swore by Big Bad Breakfast. And apparently their cookbook is just like available for purchase. 
I'm wondering to you, would that be a worthwhile purchase or should I just hold off and just continue making regular breakfast on my own? So a thousand percent worth your purchase because that is a guy named John Currents who owns a bunch of restaurants in Oxford and across the Southeast. It is a pretty big deal, I would say, in the culinary world. So okay. I would say that's 100% worth your uh, purchase. And it's just an ignorant asshat that knows nothing else about that. I would bet he has other ones too. So it might send you down a bit of a rabbit hole. So like he's, you look at around a couple restaurants on the square, he's got – I think he's got Oxford Grill House too, which is my favorite restaurant in Oxford, um, and a couple others. So I would say 100%. Okay, I'm looking at it right now, and you know there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, so I am on Amazon.com, and it recommends bundling it with pickles, pigs, and whiskey, um, recipes from my three favorite food groups, and then some, as well as Tailgate, How to Crush It at Tailgating, a cookbook, and those are all by John Carrots. So it's looking like I may have to give John Carrots a little bit of my hard-earned American dollars. Yeah, KP, I didn't know you were this into cooking. You tweeted something the other day, and it made me think about it. Or do you grill too? Like, is that I, does that count? I don't grill that much, especially not now. When I'm at home, it's a different story because I have access to one. So but let I me, a, I yeah, let me rephrase now. that. Like, what's your like? What's your how well versed are you in the meats? I am. I. I think I'm fairly well-versed in the meats in that the little experience that I do have, I think I've performed um, very well. It's just I don't have access to a grill right now. I mean, there's the apartment grill that never works by the pool downstairs. Um, But in terms of my own access to one, I don't have it. However, if I'm ever around one, um, I'm I'm 100% going to, and Andrew's going to love this, I'm going to try to be a grill master wherever I go. Especially if it's being handed off to me, uh, you know, if there's a grill around, people for some reason don't like being on the grill. But for me, it's like, hey man, all I got to do is like watch this meat, and people will bring me beer. That's that's a perfect trade off. That's. <laughs> all right, we we got to get you on Grill Corner. Andrew and I were talking about this before. I've started doing this with uh, LB's Greg, and where he just the listeners feed him questions about grilling because I don't know shit. I can barely make a pop tart. But, like, I feed him questions about stuff. We got to get a three-way grill corner going because, honestly, I just drag ass on the show. But if I could feed <laughs> questions to both of you guys, that would be kick-ass. You would love Greg. We need to do that. We absolutely do. And it's yeah. just – look, <laughs> like, um, like hopeful friend of the pod, David Jacoby, always says, people have been putting fire over meat for, like – you know, millennia. Like that's just, <laughs> that's it's not a new concept. Just like creating a fire and putting meat over it and letting it cook. Um, I think anyone can grow well as long as you just like have halfway of an attention to detail. Like yeah, just yeah, one grow. Just throw the meat over a fire. And you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> and and please, for the love of God, season it first. It's the only thing. Like it's so so easy. Like, I, I mean, if, Queen, if you, Queen Elizabeth family, like, literally destroyed the planet for um, salt and just. <laughs> they, they were on to they, they were on to at least something. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, um, offering clarification on a previous post, you absolutely do not got to hand it to the royal family. You absolutely do not got to hand it to them. <laughs> we uh, I saw a, a ringer clip the other day. 
by the way, it, it looked like uh, SVP and Rusillo had rekindled the band together. They were talking about like he had an ex-girlfriend that didn't salt her meatballs one time. And he basically told her to her face, he's like, salt's a pretty fucking big deal. Like, we fought wars over this. Like, please put something on these meatballs. I can't imagine mm. ever having, like, a, like, so, like, some, like, okay, I think every piece of meat, almost, like, 100%, the number's probably close to, like, 97, 98%, needs some type of seasoning on it, right? And I can't imagine making, because I've made meatballs more than a few times, and it's, like, that's a lot of meat that you're just, like, not seasoning with anything else. And it's not like nothing else is in these meatballs either. She literally just... Rolled up some ground beef and threw it in the oven, and that was it. Which, I mean, is a crime against me and my people. Um, meat is also, like, like not good by itself. Like, yes. if, you, if you fuck it up, it's one of the nastiest things yes. that you can eat. <laughs> like, like, yes. If, like, if I, you I, overcook I, I, or undercook to any, like, to any unreasonable degree, have you ever seen a picture of unseasoned chicken? Uh, yeah, just like an unseasoned yeah. chicken breast. Yeah, I've been to the egg bowl. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but it's just, and I'm I'm gonna get on Ole Miss tailgating soon. Um, but oh, <laughs> it's just like it's it's the most unappetizing thing you could ever look at. It's like a piece of unseasoned. It's like, are you gonna shred that and throw it in something else, or what's the what's the end game here? You're not just eating that, right? The lack of I will say, the lack of open flame in the Grove really does, like, it, I, I, I welcome and invite all unique tailgating experiences coming from someone who went, who goes to a big, or went to a big football school whose tailgating is kind of mid, I respect the shit out of Ole Miss, but the fact that you can't, like, no one grills there is hard for me to really throw it in upper, upper tier tailgating territory. It's like, so, Rippy, this is my question. I've been to Oxford twice for games, and the first time I went to one of those, like, swanky corporate tailgates, kind of, and it was like, you had the open bar deal, and it was, like, one of those situations. And the other time I went, I just kind of floated around and just ate, like, chicken fingers um, and just sort of, like, felt the vibe. Um, how do you eat hot food on the grove? Is that a thing? What, what What's the situation? There? No, you don't. So you pretty much just bring it. So some people decide to break the rules for as long as they can, but for the most part, you don't. But it's interesting. Everyone, when I got to college, would always bring this up as like a neg for tailgating in the Grove. And I had just never thought about it before because my parents have been going up to games since I was born and a little bit before that and going to the same tent. And I was like, I don't understand. I remember eating grilled food all the time. Like, I don't get this. So finally, one time freshman year, I got to our parents' tent. And like, Andrew, I think the year you came – we didn't go because for very obvious reasons about what had happened the night before <laughs> and, and, and just our post-game plans. We didn't make it to the Grove for the post-game 11 o'clock tailgate for a, an array of reasons. And I, But I went – like when I got there freshman year, I was like, why? Like, what is the deal with this? And my parents and what their friends have done because I guess they're just Grove veterans is they started staking their claim – on the perimeter of the Grove, which everyone wants to do because obviously like, it's not as crowded, it's not as congested. But what they did was they're on the basis of the alumni house. So like the end of the Grove and that ho- that hotel looking thing where all the bathrooms are, yep. they stick the grill in the 
in the road. And so it's technically not the Grove. And so the campus police can't take shit to them. Oh, and so is- they put the grill on the open flame on the road and then literally carry it four feet into the tent. And for my entire life, we've had that set up. So I was just completely ignorant to this and how bad that sucks because I just never experienced it. I had Grove grilling privilege growing up, and I just never understood it. Damn. That's that's, that's <laughs> rock and roll. That's rock and roll. <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, damn, you people are cool than I thought you were. That's a power move. I know, like, the term galaxy brain has kind of a negative connotation, but that's one of the situations where, no, galaxy brain is absolutely necessary, and it helped the situation there. <laughs> you come to the Cherokee Rebels tent from Jackson, you're all good. It's open flames away. Everywhere else, yeah, no flame. That's a bummer. The ch- and it's and for me, it's like uh, I grew up going to games at Southern University, and it's just like the concept of no open flame is just it never really registered to me like what that meant until I got to the the first time. Because I would always think, okay, but well, there's like some way to heat up food, right? Like no, and I was like, okay, no, but there has to be like a workaround, right? And it's like now nah, when you're when you are one tent and the next tent is like eight inches from yours, it's like no, like <laughs> it's not possible. So it was just a shock to me because my, I mean, we had a, I think we had two generators and a grill, just you know, using all kinds of heat to prepare food <laughs> when I was growing up, and just. And even going to Alabama and LSU and, you know, everywhere else in the Southeastern Conference. Um, the, uh, and, the, and the SWAC. It's like, yeah, no, we just grow food here. What do you mean no open flame? The the amount of, like, Saturday mornings that I've had, like, arguing with somebody at some, like, rental shop, either, like, it's outside of Baton Rouge or out, outside of Athens. It's just like, no, 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 I promise I was – I was really drunk like three days ago, and I promised I called and reserved a generator for Saturday morning for pickup. I know I've done this. It's the only thing that I've done all week. <laughs> the, amount, the amount of times I've just been like sitting there. I, I learned how to use what a, like a lighter because my family grilled for tailgates. Not for any like actual reason. I don't smoke. Like I just no. That's how, that's why I know how to use a lighter. Is because I would light the grill for tailgates growing up. I mean, hell, y'all would know way better than I would. But like, you know, with y'all's experience, but like when Katrina hit or whatever, we like our, our neighborhood parts of it lost power, and I was like kind of young. I was like, how the hell is this going to work? And then we used the generator, and that's what I thought of. I was like, oh, that's what we use in the grill. <laughs> like actually, people use that for very more serious purposes. <laughs> mom, that's our ta- mom. That's our tailgate machine. <laughs> that was like the first time I realized generators were used for serious things. <laughs> no, when we we did the uh, we did the everyone move into one one room. We will set the generator to plug in lights to that room, and uh, we will all try not to kill each other for the next four days. <laughs> Yeah, Andrew, how long were y'all without power for Katrina? Do you remember? Katrina wasn't the bad one for us. We were only out for about a week for that. It was Gustav. We were we were out for like eleven or twelve days. I want to say. Jeez. I know. Um, Ka- yeah, Katrina, that one. Yeah, Katrina wasn't bad in Baton Rouge, at least. Obviously, it's, you know. No, overall, it, but. Yeah, the uh, no, no. We ended up having we had people that had to come stay with us for Katrina, but in ter- Gustav was the worst one for for like just out like us being in Baton Rouge. 
they were saying a bunch of tornadoes like touched down from it. My my grandma lost like six oak yard or something. Dude, any tree that was up in Baton Rouge before Gustav just like was not there on that Tuesday morning. No, and the funny Whatever part the funny part was they there was I remember some headline or, or some something in the paper and it was like Baton Rouge loses X number of trees or whatever and I was like damn that's a lot but I also have no idea how many fucking trees there are like imagine trying to answer <laughs> that question these are in your city I mean it's like a job interview question that like is supposed to be a brain teaser whatever. Yeah. like we want to see how your brain works <laughs> you, you know how my brain works I'm gonna take out a gun and shoot my head through it. I'm That's gonna, how it's gonna I'm work. Gonna, it's gonna I'm, work. Gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take out my iPhone. I'm gonna Google how many trees are in Baton Rouge, and then I'm gonna tell you what it's up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I Ross just joined. Um, What's up? I re- I really like that Ross has been hopping in here because he and I sound enough alike to where I can just hop out at any time, and it'll sound like we're still rolling. Well, I will, I will tell you that. Um, what the fuck are you doing, KP? Someone's cooking. Oh no! I'm just cleaning my kitchen somewhat. And you say cooking? I hear blending. KP is K, KP oh, has decided, guys. Whenever whenever KP is not currently talking, he throws his phone in the garbage disposal. He's been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Andrew, I like that you and I have enough of a generic white man voice. And also, uh, the one time that I came out to Georgia, we posted. One of our friends posted a picture of all of us out in the rain at a tailgate for that awful rainy game. Mm-hmm. And in the one, like the angle that the picture was taken at, you and I looked just like enough alike in that, like we were both just like white men with brown hair, that one of my friends just like thought that it was like <laughs> me, but like enlarged. That they oh, were yeah. like, it, what the fuck is this, like, Ross and larger Ross in this picture? Oh, yeah, it was, it was Andrew and JV Andrew. That's what it was. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. What it was. Well, to be fair, I'm pretty sure it was Madison Marks, so it was, like, Ross and, like, Varsity Ross, but. Right, right. The, well, the the funny, the so in mentioning doppelgangers, we were at, uh, we were in Nashville one time in college, and one of my friends got drunk and decided to get an ass tattoo. And um, naturally, we, naturally, and so we there were like there were pictures posted from the tattoo parlor that I that it was like put on. I guess it was Facebook at, at the time. And my mom called me the next day, and she was like, "You got an ass tattoo, and you posted it on Facebook." I was like what are you talking about? And so I ended up looking at the picture again and it was just like generic white guy body, brown, like long swoopy type hair. And I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah, that could definitely pass for me getting an ass tattoo. That that looks like my ass. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, you know, and then just four years later, uh, the tattoo uh, nightmare for them was very much real. How many are you up to now? Three. I think I, I gotta. I gotta uh, bite the bullet. Not bite the bullet, but I gotta get a fourth. I just gotta email the man. You started at number one in like October, though, right? No, these were all quarantine. I got them June, July, August, or something like July, August, September. Time isn't got, real anymore. I knew it got was the fever. Real pandemic. It was. It, it, they were. They were mid-pandemic twos. Yeah, I would have. I would have guessed October, November, December, but still. You could have told me that. It, you you give me drinking enough, you could have told me that probably. I would have believed you. 
Yeah, fair. <laughs> but KP, you want to lead us into any semblance of a football discussion? So I want to talk about the NCAA transfer rule a little bit, actually. Oh, um, KP, KP. As it relates to the tide, right? Given the also, fans in the also, room. Um, I know we all know what's going on with the transfer rule. Like we've been talking about it a lot in our group chat and stuff. And like as a bunch of, you know, but like for those people that, that don't know what it is, why don't we, why don't we uh, maybe explain it to them right now with a lot of detail. So the NCAA basically ruled today that, you know, anyone can transfer one time without penalty. So transfer wherever you go, transfer one time, doesn't matter which level, and you'll be immediately eligible for it is a one time transfer rule. I do think this just opens the eventual floodgates for, you know, just no one sitting out ever because it's like, I don't Because sitting out has but, always been bullshit. Well, sitting out has always been bullshit, but it's also like, okay, are they employees or not? Because if I work at a company, I have to sometimes I sign a non compete clause. It's like you can't work in this industry. For like for one or two years after you leave here, it's like okay, that kind of makes sense. But those people are paying me money over the table, and it's like, well, can you can you really tell a person that if you're not gonna pay them money? Like, hey, by the way, um, I do know that you know Norman, Oklahoma is you know in the middle of Oklahoma, and Morgantown, West Virginia is across the fucking country. But um, hey, sorry, nope. Can't play. Sorry, too close. Can't do it. Ineligible. Are you t- are you telling me that this means I finally don't have to be a Georgia fan anymore? I get to transfer somewhere else without penalty. Andrew, you're free. <laughs> Andrew, you are not free. This is a this is a burden you will bear the rest of your life. Oh no! Please just let <laughs> no me leave. Ha- no matter how much you want it to go away, it never will. Just let me leave. I want to go <laughs> home. Andrew, I don't. Head I don't want to leave you though. That's the issue, is that as when much head, as you say you want to, you're never going to be able to. When no, because I'm, I'm a masochist. Bennett, when head coach Stetson Bennett wins a national title um, three years after you die, it's just going to be the, the happiest day. <laughs> yeah, you did, can, uh, honestly, be, this, is, this is real Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. No, dude. <laughs> the, Jesus. It, the, the scar, you can bring you it get, back to the very white man conversation from earlier. You don't get to, uh, you don't get to check out of scar tissue. It's there forever. <laughs> yeah, everything hey, below my the belt. Just said the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, no. Um, well, that's good. I didn't. I I was I was unaware of that. Oh, KP's back in the toilet. Sorry. Yep. I'm not. So now. it's it's. Worry, hang on, KP. Uh, you probably know this better than I do, but I, I've been reading some tweets and not articles. Mm-hmm. There is so the NCAA hold their rule but if a conference still has a specific intra-conference transfer restriction that still supersedes this rule right i am not sure if it's a federal law state law deal it's amazing Um, they've managed to weasel them their way into this they it's all made up I believe I believe that's the case, but I don't think it's an accident. If you notice, you saw a wave of conferences eliminate their intra-conference transfer rule before this became official. I don't think that was an accident. No, because it's like, why would why would a conference keep that up? It's like, uh, well, if it doesn't work out, or if I hate my position coach, or any number of reasons, why, why can't I be eligible? You know, in the Big Twelve, when you know I can go to the SEC and just 
be immediately eligible, period. So, yeah, yeah a, but if a, you're if you're the let's say, for example, if you're the SEC, for some reason they think they're better than everybody else. You know, obviously this would never happen in the SEC. They would never think that. I have to but, be I have to be the hottest conference in the NCAA for some reason. If they think they're the prettiest girl at the ball, they may choose to keep that rule in place even though the rest of the NCAA doesn't because they think that they're good enough to not need to. It's a real, like, Ivy League does need blind scholarships type deal. You know, we don't need to know whether or not you are good enough. Like, we know that if you get into our school, you're going to go there. Like, it doesn't matter if we fit, if we have harder rules than everybody else. I, don't, I can so I I'm, see I'm, where you're, I'm I see where you're going with the SEC. I don't know if they've passed that rule or not, but I can see that being a particular circumstance in which some conferences don't pull their rules when others do. I see where your head's at, but the SEC's rule has basically been – I mean, ever since Kirby and Nick Saban almost went to war, as soon as Kirby left for Georgia, I think the SEC's pretty much been leaning towards, you know, not – like being very lenient on the rule, period. Um They'll be stubborn, but it's like, ah, who cares? We we want the best athletes to come here no matter what that means. So if we have to change our rules to keep that gravy train rolling, then we will. I have a take that this will lead to far less transfers. Oh, yeah, because people will be much more careful on the front end, I think, you know. Yes, and then I think presumably there will be no – because now it's gotten to the point, like, if you want to transfer and get immediately eligible, it's going to happen some way or another. And if I you're imagine a if the NC yeah, – Unless exactly. you look forward, yeah. Or just a basketball player in general. <laughs> Did y'all see that 29.1% of active D1 basketball players are in the portal? Did y'all see that? That's insane. I did not see that. The thing that always yeah. got me is I remember I think last year someone put out that over the last, like, five years or something like that, if you were a five-star quarterback recruit – you are more likely to transfer than not. It was like 52% of five stars entered the transfer portal at some time. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did some deep dive way back, like way back when. Um, and it was like looking at all the five stars between like 2000 and 2016. And there, because it was right, right when like Ethan and Shea Patterson were, were getting there. And ironically about those two, um, but like, no, 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 they're, they're, Remember the East yeah. Patterson debate? Like, oh my God! Have? Who would you rather? Remember have? the Jake Fromm versus Justin Fields debate? Oh my God! But I'm just uh, kidding. We didn't have a debate. Uh, Who's uh, Jake Fromm? Oh my! No, the, and that's the problem. Is oh that I? Who could have anticipated your quarterback gets worse year over year? That doesn't happen. Oh my Andrew, God! We, Andrew, that was the first. The that would never happen to Bo Nix. The literal first article on Armchair was quarterbacks who got worse year over year. No, do you know what the first? No, do you know what the first article was? It was Joe and I debating the process. Uh, no, whether the process sick that uh, thirty-eight and one Kentucky team, the Cat Booker Kentucky team. Yeah, they would have beaten them by forty, Andrew. No, they would not. They, yeah, maybe, maybe, but not not one not one hundred times out of one hundred. Just no, ninety-nine and a half. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see Devin Booker shoot, score one hundred and seventy-five points on one hundred and eighty-five shots. <laughs> but, you, know, do, uh, you know, those I are. Uh, 
the side I had, was go ahead. I said I just do think it's very interesting that it's like thirty percent of active D one players are transfers. It's like transferring has always been part of the fabric of college hoops, but it's like it's a lot easier to get eligible then because it's not like it's the NBA and NFL rules, you know, in the NBA, in the NBA, it's like, if you are a super talented person, but you have a rough freshman, you try to transfer and you can't get eligible. It's like, I will not just declare now, you know? So it's just, there's almost, there's less risk, but it's in the NFL. It's like, Oh, you got three years after you graduate high school. So you got to figure something out. Yeah. The, uh, the, what I feel like isn't hit on as much in recruiting just because, I mean, of where the sport sits and baseball recruiting is because like you go at you, like you can't recruit. I, I sent this to KP, uh, just like Byron Buxton slash line like this. I th- he's literally hitting 500 this year, I think with like a, like a w- one point, like four, something like a Barry Bonds steroids OPS. Um, but he was a Georgia commit, which uh, to be fair has always been his ceiling has always been a ceiling. Uh, but like he was, he was a Georgia commit back in like 2012. And then obviously was the number one pick in the draft, but it, baseball recruiting is so fucking weird. Just from the, like you have to recruit the guys that you think are going to be there for four years because they like, it's not even like recruiting a one and done guy because it's worth getting like fucking Brandon Ingram or Zion or whoever, like on your team for a year. It's weird recruiting a guy being like, well, if you fall, you are going to be a stud for us for three years, but if someone offers you three hundred grand, you're probably going to go and take it. I yeah, mean, it's like you it's, you almost have to aim to have like the number fifteen rated class because you have the, if you have the number one rated class in baseball, it's like ah, dude, you didn't recruit anybody. I do feel like yes. in and, and I I have some I don't have any insider knowledge, but I, I get the sense that people tend to know. This guy's going pro. This guy's going to college. Now, the specifics of a draft class or something like where they might get picked could change that. But I believe going into the draft, going into whatever, there's usually a sense this guy wants to go to college. This guy wants to go pro. Like they don't draft somebody if they believe like he's a Georgia commit and he really loves Georgia. He's definitely going sort of no matter where we draft him, he's going to fall you know, 10, 20 picks. Someone will draft him just in case, but like. Well, so, so are we talking baseball think, guys. We're we talking ba- yeah, baseball yeah, draft ba- college dudes. Yeah. Well, so, Sorry, so I, I had to rip, pee. You, rip, you probably know this because I know, I remember, you know, I, I only read like one of them, but you tweeted about covering Ole Miss baseball a lot. <laughs> I did. I did it for five years. Their head coach absolutely fucking despises me. Um, so <laughs> the, I, yeah, it's a, it's a weird deal. Um, so. Mike. I'll offer, yeah, my, well, midget Mike Bianco. So we, uh, I'll offer two thoughts on this. One, the scholarship thing is such complete horseshit. Can you imagine the way SEC football would be perceived if Georgia and Alabama had 25 scholarships and LSU, Florida, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss had 11? Because you know that's how that works in baseball. Vanderbilt, Vandy, <laughs> Vandy, Georgia, LSU, Arkansas has about half of it because they have a bordering states deal where if you if your state touches Arkansas, your in-state tuition or your out-of-state tuition is waived and then they pretty much just shave it down to nothing. But like as much as I hate that guy, Mike Bianco in 2017 signed the number one recruiting class in the country with 11.7 scholarships 
and Vanderbilt and LSU and Georgia, are, particularly Vanderbilt, are allowed to give full scholarships to every single kid on the roster. So this guy split 11.7 between 25 dudes and signed the number one class in the country. I will go to my grave saying that's the most impressive accomplishment anyone at Ole Miss has done in individual in the last, I would say, half century. Um, number two, we're talking about the draft part of it. Uh, I would say, so like, if you give any inkling to those guys that you might go to school, they move off of you in a hurry. And honestly, if you slip it off, like, you know how like in football, like your senior year doesn't really matter that much in hoops. It definitely does not. Mm-hmm. If you slip it all in baseball, I mean, if you, your senior year, it affects the hell out of you. Jerry on Ely, the five-star running back Ole Miss has. Well, he was a projected first-round pick, top 15 pick in the MLB draft. You talk, I, like, no shot he was actually headed to campus to play either football or baseball at Ole Miss. Well, the kid hit 270 his senior year because no one pitched to him, and he started forcing shit. And all of a sudden, that first-round draft stock turned into 32nd-round draft stock because once you pass, like, the first two rounds, they're not taking you if there's any inkling you're going to school. And the second part of that is I did a story on Sinquez Golson a while back. His NFL career was pretty much derailed. He was the guy that caught the the pick over O.J. Howard. Yeah, um, I, was, I was in that end zone, yes. <laughs> yeah, so he, he turned down a million seven from the Boston Red Sox out of uh, high school to come play at Ole Miss and never Foolish. actually ended up playing baseball past a season. Luckily for him, he ended up making it back because the Steelers drafted him early in the second round. And it, it, I think he ended up making like an $800,000 difference in more money. But you're right, Andrew. It ended up being kind of foolish because injuries killed. He never played an NFL game. He got injured in training camp twice and it ended his career, basically. But the stories he told of like how much they try to pressure you and after a while if you don't crack and they're just kind of done with you. He was in a room in the front offices of Fenway Park for seven hours with his mom. And then they got to a point where they were trying to like get his mom out of there or whatever. And he had a number that he wouldn't move off of. But can you imagine having the stones at 18 years old to where they offer you 200,000 less than what you think you want. And you say, hell no, I'm going to school in front of a bunch of Red Sox executives. I mean, at the time this was still Theo Epstein. So he kind of just told Theo Epstein to kick rocks and he was going to Oxford. I just can't imagine the balls on someone to have that, to have that <laughs> level headedness at 18 years old. And like I wrote about it and whatever, and I was like, I just can't imagine this. Well, the, uh, was only like Theo was only like 22, so it's like I, yeah, uh, oh. yeah. You're turning, you're 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 turning down. The uh, my my uh, my dad is friends with Maneri, and he said that it's like it's tough recruiting a lot of these middle round guys because they all like their number is never what they say their number is like apparently there was a kid uh within the last couple of years at LSU like one of the last two classes and he was like I'm coming unless I get a million dollar signing bonus and it wasn't like it wasn't round based or whatever it was like that's my number and he got like 350 and then went and so it was like you end up see, like, like the exact opposite of what Rippy was saying is you end up having some 18 and 19 year old kids that are literally flash guaranteed couple hundred grand. And that I mean, the wheels start turning there. And then you have to say, like, no, I was saying a million dollars, but now I have to turn down whatever, six hundred, seven hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. It really it depends. You're right. It depends on the kid. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's harsh and as cruel as it can be. It, it depends on their socioeconomic situation, and it depends on a lot of factors. And I think those scouts try to kind of figure out 
the kid in their situation early on. Because if you get a kid who has a number and he's not moving off of it, you'll notice it's like when a kid's draft stock dips, you know, 12 rounds in the last three months of his senior year, that's probably not because the kid sucked. It's uh, it's probably because he had a number that he was pretty stiff on and he wouldn't move off of. And I know the whole argument of college is the way is just a bunch of blowhards when it comes to college hoops, just wanting to preserve the sport. But there is a whole lot of proven science that college baseball is kind of a more guaranteed bet to some degree. Now, granted, if you're, you know, Joe Gray Jr. or that kid the Royals drafted or uh, whoever the other one was two years ago, like if you're a slam dunk, of course. Or like Justin Upton, right? Yes, right. If you're a top three pick, you take the money immediately. You take your $3 million and go. If you're Bryce Harper who graduated high school early. Right. Aaron Nola, Kavakai, baby. If you're yeah. if if you're a high school kid, number one, Baton Rouge. number one overall, and even number fifteen overall aren't the same thing. Much less thirty, right? So, like, barring the exception, if you're a late first round kid, there is a lot of data to prove that college helps you, and so it's kind of an interesting balance. Like, I find the whole draft negotiating thing with scouts with eighteen year old kids fascinating. Yeah, it's it's basically just, and I, like you said, if you're like that top 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 level. Yeah, you should probably go. But if you're like mid level and a borderline person, look if if, you, if you're still an, a seventeen or eighteen year old and you like you're not like a superhuman, you your body has developed like a normal seventeen or eighteen year old, you're just talented at baseball, yeah, go to college, get in a college strength program for three years and by the time a major league team actually takes a chance on you, you're not languishing in the minors for a few years. Rippy, and maybe Andrew might know his name too, but Rippy, you definitely will. You remember a guy named Gavin Caccini? I do. Very well. Yeah. he the Red Sox system. He was a guy that – he went to Barb High School, which is one of my high school's like big baseball rivals, and obviously super, super talented um, high school shortstop. He was on the – when he was in middle school, he was on the Louisiana team that like almost won the Little League World Series. Like he – like that level of young talent. And I remember there was buzz like, oh, man, this guy's going to tear it up for Ole Miss. And he was just committed to Ole Miss, and everyone thought he would go for a while. But I think he just – he got, what, that five or 600,000 number? And it's like, uh, when you're that young, it's like – it's hard to pass that up because even if it doesn't work out, hey, you made this much money um, to go play Major League Baseball. And I think he played for two – he made it to the majors for two years at the Mets and just hasn't played in four seasons. And it's like – Caccini was one of the first kids that switched his commitment. If you want to know how outdated college baseball recruiting is, y'all know there's still a gentleman's agreement in place that when a kid commits to a school, and this is abided by, swear on anything, when a kid commits to a school, every other school stops recruiting him, and that's actually a thing. What? Yeah, it's how the it's how the Benson used to be before Urban Iron got there. <laughs> yeah, and so Caccini <laughs> switching his commitment from LSU to Ole Miss was like a huge fucking deal within the coaching industry. Because everyone was like, wow, Mike Bianco's playing dirty ball, which was actually not the case from everyone I talked to at that. He was an interesting recruit because he almost got Mike fired. He, uh, they had had three or four bad years in a row. And then Caccini takes, you know, you know, half a million dollars. And it's like, really, you can't get this kid to campus for six figures? And, like, people were really kind of tired of him at that point. But that, that guy's an interesting test case. I would like to track him down one day. He's Yeah, it's and obviously he's just one of, you know, hundreds of – similar cases but he's just a guy that i actually watched in high school and i guess in middle school too now that i think back on it um yeah just obviously you, you don't want to tell people what to do and 
look, I'm never going to look someone in their eyes and say, hey, yeah, don't take $700,000. Like, uh, no, I, I can't, I can't in good conscience tell someone that. Um, but there is a, there is a much safer investment in just going to college developing for three years. And it's like, oh, well, you're still going to get picked in the first round. And, you know, if you're that level of top flight, you'll get a bigger share of that 11.7 than maybe someone else would get. Um, unless you're Rafe Rhymes, who, you know, went off scholarship his last year, wink, wink, whatever. <laughs> that yeah. was a uh, fantastic example, though, KP. Like, that's the quintessential guy that would have benefited big time from collegiate baseball. Because the other end of that is you get to be a kid for another two and a half years to where yeah. you disappear in middle America with a bunch of grown-ass men from the time you're 18 years old if you take that money. You get to learn about real-life shit and because you're – 17 or 18 years old and like you said you're in the middle of america and i know like there are some minor league teams that are big like if you're with the Gwinnett braves it's like okay cool you get to live in atlanta and you're still around the major organization um with the Gwinnett strikers but listen man if you're <laughs> if you're in fucking i don't know like uh, bryce harbour's from vegas right so if you're from the vegas area and it's like all right cool you got drafted by the washington nationals all right sweet yeah, we're going to send you to the Zephyrs for two to three years. And it's like, dude, if I got sent to New Orleans making something resembling a salary when I was 17 years old, I would not have made it out. Like, you know, <laughs> you know so, so it's it, it's it's tough. And look, Gavin, if you're listening to this, we do wish you the best and we are rooting for you. But your your case is one of the more interesting and fascinating ones. And, um, and Gavin, who's definitely not listening to this, I would like to apologize for uh, confusing you with your older brother, Garen, who was in the Red Sox system. <laughs> Gavin is not. G-A-R-I- DM me, Gavin, please. <laughs> the Red Sox uh, farmhand for a while. Gavin Cattini, come on the show. So, Rip, I actually am curious about this because um, you might know this better and you were referencing some numbers earlier. Um in my minimal understanding of sort of the Major League Baseball draft process, the sort of surest bet of sort of like, you know, their production that you can uh, project forward is a collegiate position player. And the riskiest is a high school pitcher. But is there, and I know you were talking about data, like, is there a lot of information that says, you know, we know what we get out of collegiate position players, and we know what we don't get out of high school pitchers because they're they're hardest to project. Is there a thing that said like you know we think this guy would have been a second round pick if they were a high school position player, but you know usually they move up if they go to college. Like, is there data for like how much they move up or how many people that you know could have gone but they say oh I want to go to college to try to improve my draft stock and then possibly suck in college and then go down like do we have any sort of understanding of that i'm sure scouts do to some degree they definitely that is that that is definitely not available to the kids or at least not readily available otherwise they wouldn't keep making terrible decisions and like i'm not even (laughs) saying that it's like a like a knock i mean it's not it's a terrible decision in hindsight right like they wouldn't keep making risky decisions i guess is the best way to categorize that i just don't know because it honestly depends on the kid um, because every scout, well, yeah, if you're every, a first round every, kid, yeah, he's going to tell you you're a five tool guy, whether you're actually or not, they're just trying to get you ball. to sign and develop whatever it is. Exactly. It's the money ball scene where you've, I've seen this living room. You tell these kids they know, and you don't. 
Like, it's that classic scene. But at the same time, if you're 18 years old and you're a pitcher and you filled out your frame and you throw 94 with some or 95 these days with some na- pretty nasty breaking shit, like, that's a pretty sure bet barring injury. Whereas position players, it's harder to forecast because in some ways, because most of those guys have not seen high velocity to any degree yet. And so you're really just projecting off of tools. But at the same time, pitchers can be that way as well. Whereas, for example, Ole Miss has a kid pitching on Friday night right now named Gunnar Hoagland. And he was a first-round pick of the Pirates out of high school. And he turned down that money, which was seven figs, to come to Ole Miss. And he gets to Ole Miss and just gets absolutely fucking shelled his first year. I wanted to write a satirical column about how all Pirate Scouts could, should be drug tested. Because I was like, I don't understand what any of these people saw in this kid. He had a decent fastball and absolutely nothing else. And he kind of took his lumps and he learned. And now he's not going to survive past pick nine this year. The kid's absolutely nasty. He leads the country in strikeouts. That includes Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter with an absolutely filthy fastball and pretty two pretty good secondary pitches. And that's an example of a kid to where you think, okay, he turned down seven figures. What is he thinking? Well, he probably would have gotten his ass lit up in the minor leagues because he didn't know how to pitch to kids. He just relied on his fastball to let some scrub kit because scrub high school hitters were going to swing through it to where is now he's improved his draft stock to where he's guaranteed to make at least two to $3 million. And he's a hell of a lot better pitcher for it. But there's cases, there's, hundreds of cases the other way too it really just depends on the kid like it's we try to make this an exact science and i'm basically telling you in baseball in my opinion it's just a crapshoot i think baseball has always been a crapshoot in every situation yeah I, I i do think that's a great point rippy about the pitcher with the filled out frame that throws a certain you know miles per hour with good breaking stuff it, it reminds me of and how we've mentioned it but it's it's the aaron nola thing because obviously i well, no, with, with the same high school and watched him pitch a ton of times. And I just remember, like, oh, yeah, the, the guy's, like, going straight to the majors because he's tall, like, a little lanky, but tall through heat, had great um, – what if the word's not placement. What is it, Ross? Location. Location, command. exactly. Had great location, great command. And the guy's, like, 18. It's like, okay, yeah, he's definitely going to the pros. And then he just went to LSU, and I was just kind of shocked by that. His freshman year was just kind of up and down. He was a freshman college pitcher going against juniors and seniors. But a couple of weeks into his sophomore year, it was just like, why did this guy ever go to college? And he was just mowing people down for a full year and a half. So, and I think that's what that's another funny example of guys like, dude, just go make your money. But now he's a top ten pitcher, so it worked out for him. But um, so, uh, Rip, I got another follow up question that I figure you'll you'll know better than the rest of us because the rest of us are dumb. Um, not to compare this back to college football, which ostensibly this live podcast is about, but do you think that as you were talking about those, those guys who were sort of already filled out, um, on a kid by kid basis, do you think there's a huge difference in terms of the guys who have sort of more to add to their frame versus the ones that don't like, for example, the one that I'm thinking about is, the person who is not really well-educated will look at, for example, recent Heisman winner Devontae Smith and say, oh, he's very slight, but you know he's going to the NFL. Guys go from college to the NFL. They fill out as they get older. They get bigger. They get bulkier. But when you look at him, there's not really anywhere to add 
more meat to his frame. Like that guy's going to play at whatever weight he's at now because he's been in college for four years in an essentially NFL-style training facility. Is there a huge aspect of that to baseball projection in terms of like the high school and the college kids? It's much more of a variance, which, first of all, backing up, that's the closest I've ever been to being called smart. So thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever (laughs) said to me. Probably won't ever happen again. Two, is this much more of a variance? Because I feel like among college football scouts, or excuse me, professional football scouts, college kids, there's like more of a consensus opinion on kids to where like, I'll go back to that Hoagland example, because after his freshman year, I met a couple of scouts when I was doing that Reds thing or whatever. And so I talked to a couple of them and then like kind of made some connections elsewhere through that. And like the Pirates had that kid as a first round pick, but there were other organizations that didn't even have the kid on their fucking draft board. And so like in baseball, it's such a wider variance of, like, you know, in, in, in like baseball scouts, like, they take pride in I'm the guy who found Bryce Harper. Or that's probably not a good example because he's like, you know, he was a phenom. But I'm the but guy that he, found Jacob DeGrom. To find him that, yeah. yeah. So I, I would say it's more of like a, such a more variance of opinion, maybe more so. So, like, when you're talking about the kid, okay, has he filled out his frame or not? Like, you know, some scouts may say yes. Other scouts say, I don't know. We could probably put more weight on this kid, add a little bit of life. It's also what your problem is. The Ole Miss had a kid two years ago, Ryan Rollison, who's probably actually going to make the Rockies Major League Club before the year's over. Oh, um, what up? Only made it two years in high school, or made, made it two years in college, excuse me. In his second year, he actually wasn't that good. But that man could have gone 0-25 in Ole Miss his second year and still been a first-round pick. Because his problem was fastball command, and a professional organization is going to fix that in two weeks. And his breaking ball was just absolutely dynamite. So it's kind of what your problem is, too. If it's a weight frame thing, some guys think they can fix that, and they'll put huge value in you, where others think, nah, kid's not like for me. So I would just, it goes back to the variance thing. I just think there's such a huge variance between you know, prospects in baseball than any other sport, to where it feels like in the NFL and the NBA, there's kind of a consensus of a guy's floor or ceiling, if that makes any sense at all. No, it, it does. Um, and I appreciate that. Is there, is there, and not to, you know, we'll all, I'll move off of this in a second, but, you know, again, as you are the smart one here, um, is there anything that you have that people consider eminently projectable as a skill, um, you know, from level to level. I know for one thing, like just the example that's coming to mind is that I read something, you know, probably about a year ago that there was some data coming out recently that in basketball prospects, a guy who has a really good free throw percentage has a chance of like his shooting form is clearly good. He knows what he's doing and that is probably projectable. He can have growth in the future. This came up because Jamal Murray has always been a good free throw shooter and people were trying to say, you know, is his bubble performance from last year comparable or not? Is there anything in baseball that like some guys throw hard, but they'll never be able to control it, whether they get into a professional league or not? Um, Is there anything like that that, you know, like you were just talking about uh, the guy who you think is going to make the Rockies this year that like he couldn't control his fastball but he had a devastating breaking ball in college. Is that the kind of thing that's projectable or is it just sort of really all a crapshoot and depends on the kid? I would say there's like a base level of like 
talent and kind of frame you have to have? Because that Ryan Rollison guy is not very tall. I mean, I'm short. He's probably 6'1 tops. Mm-hmm. But the way he throws his mechanics are – I would say one is – for pitcher, it's delivery. So, like, if you ever find yourself watching an Ole Miss baseball game, the way Gunnar Hoagland throws 94 is not the same way that they bring in at the the kid comes in at the end of games. Because they have a kid named Taylor Broadway who throws gas. But, man, he has to rear back and sling it where Gunnar Hoagland looks like he's, like, flicking a pellet at you or some shit. And so when the delivery is effortless and it doesn't put that much stress on your joints and your muscles and all that, that's a big thing. And then the rest of it is just, like, length and frame. And it's the same way with position players, too. You could be a hell of a high school shortstop, but not everybody's Bobby Witt Jr. or whatever that kid's name was that got drafted by the Royals to where you're just range and athleticism it's a lot of projection. So, like, I would say 60% of it is body frame. And then, you know, if you're a hitter, power, and, every, and like, spraying it to all fields. And if you're a pitcher, velocity backs it up. But it's, it's, it's almost more so than basketball on your body frame. Like, if you're, if you're a pitcher or a position player that's either athletic and rangy or has a huge, huge uh, delivery advantage on the mound because your stride's so long – like, that's as big a key as kind of getting in that upper echelon as anything else. The rest they could work with. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you, Rip. Yeah. I appreciate it. There's, there's so much. Uh, like, I've always enjoyed following, you know, baseball. And I, you know, we've worked for a couple of minor league teams. But I've never understood the, like, projection of it at all. So I appreciate yeah. it. Baseball I don't either. Stuff. I was just regurgitating information scouts have told me over the years. I did not understand any of this when I got into it. Baseball scouting is so weird because it's like obviously you have your 25-man roster, but also your triple-A affiliate, your double-A affiliate, your single, your high-A, your low-A. Your, you know, There's so many different pieces that are part of your organization, and then there are so many baseball players around the country. Football-wise, it's like, all right, in the NFL there's – you know. 53 players. Um, there's this many D1 teams. Um, there's this many D2 teams. There's this many D3 teams. Um, and it's that, and we can follow the seven-on-seven circuits when they're in high school. That's it, football-wise. And basketball is even easier because it's like, oh, we don't have to go to a game. We can just, like, watch film, and we can tell everything we need to know. But baseball is just – baseball scouting scares me in that it's so much so – Successful baseball scouts like Clint Eastwood in that one movie, right? I'm the trouble mistaken. with the curve. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come for me on baseball movies. I know them all. I'm not. Yeah, I didn't know it, so I was just asking you. Starring um, Amy Adams and Justin Timberlake. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, that kind of so non sequitur here. I do want to tie this back to college football, but I'm not tying that discussion into anything here. I want to hear from both of you. What is like the worst time you've had at a game? Not a, like your team could have won or lost, whatever. But you went to the game. You stayed for at least a little bit of it. But it was just like the least enjoyable thing in the world. College football. College um, football. Yeah, just the the worst time you've had at a game. Well, I can tell you, I have a top two. Okay. By far. And it's probably pretty obvious to know which two are the only two losses I ever attended in person. Um, but you know what? Actually, I think I think one of them's a lot worse than the other. Because you have a bad number... time the whole time. I, I, look, I don't mean just like one no, no, singular there's, there's pang one of, of disappointment. Had a very bad time. 
The, the second one was the Clemson National Championship in Tampa. I had a great time until the very end. Yeah. The you guys had fun one, on that whole trip, too. Like, that was just a fun trip until fun the last play. And I was in the end zone when Jalen Hurts scored, scored that touchdown with about two minutes left, and I thought we had it sealed. Um, like, he ran towards me. But the single worst experience of my life, which unfortunately was the weekend that my good friend Brian Scott Reppy was in town, and I did not get to see him was when we hosted Ole Miss and did oh. not win. And I will was, say – Was that a bad time all, throughout, though? It, as, as unfortunate as the events of the game was, the, the uniqueness of this particular situation was that I was sitting with a different group of friends in the student section that I did normally. Mm. Um, and I cannot blame them. Because they were all good, but we happened in front of a group of, um, I think fair weather would be a kind word to use for these people uh, yeah. who just seemed to have a problem with everything that was going on. We were all upset, you know, the tide was losing basically the whole game. Yeah, I don't um, think we led, I don't think we led that whole game. Yeah, I mean, you're, you'd have a better memory of it than I would. I just remember being sad the whole time. Um, we fumbled on the first play. That kind of yeah, set the tone. <laughs> Love you, Kenyon, but yeah. There were these people behind us that kept complaining about, like, you know, obviously, like, stop them, saving and, like, things that, you know, didn't make sense. Um, but the thing that really struck me is uh, around the third quarter, one of the group behind there's probably four or five of them, and one of the girls in the group just started shouting about, um, how Ole Miss was just bodying us and was like, who are these terrible players that you're recruiting Saban? Saban, how could you recruit such bad, such a bad team? Ole Miss has better players. Now I'll oh, put up with a lot, but in that particular bad. moment in 2015, I think we were running on seven straight number one recruiting uh, cycles. I think, I think that, was, that was five of seven, but yeah. Five of seven, <laughs> but either way. Um, Kirby had either Kirby had just left or hadn't left yet. And it was basically like no one was touching Alabama and recruiting. And I remember that particular comment really struck me. And I had mentioned, I had like sort of not said very loudly offhand earlier, like, Hey guys, please quiet down. Cause everyone around us was getting mad at them. And at a certain yeah. point, similarly after that, I said, I just turned. And for the first time in my life, I turned to another Alabama fan and I said like, y'all either need to like shut up or go sit with the Ole Miss fans because you're being very rude. You're being very disrespectful. I'm a little drunk and I'm very upset right now because we're watching our tide. We're watching the tide lose. And that was the first in-person tide loss I had ever seen. I was, you know, very, uh, um, I was, wait, were you not at Ole Miss in 2014? For some reason I I did not go to Ole Miss in 2014. So this was the first tide loss I'd seen in person. So, you know, I, uh, I was coddled by the title I was winning. Um, and the people got really mad at me for uh, these two not-that-large dudes but who thought they were much larger than they were got really mad at me for, like, talking to their girlfriend or whatever. Um, and they spent the rest of the game calling me homophobic slurs and threatening to fight me. Um, so I would say that that, that, that one stands out, both losing to Ole Miss – listening to those dudes that whole game. And yeah. 
I remember afterwards being like, that sucked. The people around me sucked. But at least, you know, this guy who I, I knew a little bit, but I wasn't super close with, was in town from Ole Miss. Like, he and I can go to get a drink and enjoy it, and it'll be the end of the night. Um, <laughs> and, and there was, there was, was no way either of us were going to see Rippy after that game. That was, but my thought was, I'll just go see Rip and it'll be okay because we'll have a nice drink. Like we'll have like a single beer and like commiserate. And you know, of course, that didn't happen because like the world existed. But I had this this idea that like it'll be okay because of that. And uh, yeah, that was that was real tough. So I, I remember that. Like, look, and you and I have much different experiences that game because I was just in my normal section around my normal friend group and. Even though we lost and we didn't lead, there were a couple of moments where it was like, oh, damn, like Alabama could make a game of this. And it was like, those moments are cool. So it sucked that we lost and it's like how we lost. But I, I didn't have a bad time that game. The And, again, there's no way we were seeing Rippy because it's like, I'm sure as soon as the game ended, Rippy just paid whatever mortgage he needed to to get into Galatz or Innisfree or wherever and just, like, there was, was, no, it it just wasn't going to happen. I I was also texting y'all. I was scared to leave my pack. Like, I was scared to walk around myself. I bought myself a company. The thing that I remember most distinctly is I was like, Rip, just, like, come to my apartment or this bar or something. And you were like, I can't be by myself right now. I'm going to get jumped. And I was like, yeah, fair. (laughs) I went to um, our mutual friend Grace's sorority house just, like, sitting in the kitchen for, like, an hour after the game while traffic died down. And then you just drove me home. Um, Yeah. That that wasn't that bad. Rip, what's your answer? Like the worst time you've had at a game. And I know you've yeah, covered, Rip, Rip, you covered a lot too. I'm very sad for y'all. That's a tough – and I, I hope y'all are able to get over this in the coming years. I'm going to list like 15 that I thought of <laughs> while y'all are discussing. Right, Rip, 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 before you go, I do want to acknowledge our, our good pal Jack in the chat describing what I can only imagine as a horrifying experience. Of, oh, I do yeah. not know what – Expl- specifically worked means in terms of his capacity. Oh, but I can you, tell you that working at Bryant Denny during Alabama LSU last year must have been a horrifying experience. Well, well, number one, I think Jack means he was like a game day partner. So just the people that monitor the student section and make oh, sure God. that. Yeah, God. but oh. mo- most games that's fine because it's like who the fuck is really like misbehaving for like the state game. Like, like outside of LSU, it's normally fine. But And again, it was at 2.30, so that could go either way. Either people just didn't drink that much or they're not pacing at all. They're chugging because the game's at 2.30 and at 7. So that could go either I, way. I think I had a, a brief, uh, you know, mem- connected two memories for a second, which is that, like, I remember running into Jack in the hot dog line once at Brian Denny and one of <laughs> yeah. the two of us was out of money. So either he bought me a hot dog or I bought him a hot dog. So in my mind, there was just drunk freshmen yelling at him while he was trying to sell them hot dogs, which sounds so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jack, there's no pacing. It could have been. So Jack, I'm very sorry that you went through that last year. Yeah. I was in the student um, section I, I for that game. And... I appreciate your contribution. Well, sorry, was, Rick, go, go ahead. I'm sure all of these are, are terrible. I just want to hear yeah, it's top okay. two, Go right? ahead. So I've got I got 25 or so. So here I'll go top <laughs> two. Um, number one was 2010. Houston Nutt lost to Jacksonville State in Oxford, mm. and they had a kid named Tig Barksdale, who is a all world running back, 
committed to Ole Miss, could not get into school. Um, apparently thought it was Ole Miss's fault that he could not get into school. And this was back in Houston Nuts ACT fudging days, so maybe it was Ole Miss's fault. <laughs> yeah. And he went to Jacksonville State and had two touchdowns, and then when they won the game in overtime, shot the double birds up and down the sideline as everyone filed out of the stadium. As um, when, yeah, I was a freshman. Ole Miss was Hugh Freeze's first year. It was actually a good time for Ole Miss football. They played Missouri um, – at the second to last game of the year, Missouri, this was one of the pink hole won the West or won the East when they first got in the league years. Um, it was one of those things where Ole Miss kind of talked themselves into having a chance. And it was like 14 degrees outside with like a wind chill of like six. And that game was non-competitive from the start. And that was the coldest I've ever been in that stadium. Um, losing 31-3 to to Wake Forest at Orgeron second to last year, where <laughs> Ole Miss lost two starting safeties. Because well, it had an hour and a half rain delay, and uh, Ed Orgeron actually ran bull in the ring in the IPF, and we lost two. We ran a full practice during the rain delay, and Ole Miss lost two starting safeties and a linebacker. That was a bummer. Uh, Ole Miss almost won the West in 2003. It came down to the LSU game, and the Lugroso Award finalist kicker broke a toe that week and missed three field goals, and then on a fourth down, Eli tripped over his own center to end the game. That was a bummer. Oh, shit. I'm trying to think. Ole Miss lost 13-12 to to BYU. They're 2-10-year Houston Nuts last year. That game that was, sucked. That was opening weekend, right? And it was it, just like the Mormons versus Ole Miss. So it was just like the ultimate. It was. They, they had a quarterback that ended up working at the library sports bar by the end of the season and not playing football anymore. Um, Ole Miss had a home and home with Wyoming that overlapped. I really like the way you phrased that. It wasn't clear that it was the Ole Miss quarterback, and in my mind, I went to the BYU quarterback. Ended up working at the library. Yeah, it was it was tough. Ole Miss had a home and home with Wyoming that overlapped uh, Cutcliffe and Orgeron and lost both by combined like. Shit, I think it was like thirty-seven points. Hawaii, the, the the ponies got Ole Miss pretty good that those two years. Um, I hated that home game. There was one more in there. Oh, uh, the LSU taking a knee with six minutes left sucked. And then the whole Trent Richardson deal on SinQuest Golson, by the way, yeah, in 2011. Got, got his revenge. Got his revenge. Yeah, that was a brutal one. Cam Newton doing whatever he wanted in Auburn, not punting, sucked. I had quite a few. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I should have rephrased. The worst time you've had in the, in the stadium watching a game that your team won. Maybe that's a more fun topic because I think I just opened a lot of wounds for Ripley. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it was a rough childhood, but we uh, we were some good times in there too. Ole Miss did lose a seven overtime game to Arkansas when I was seven, and I had swallowed a B earlier that day, and my coat got stung on my tonsils. They like borderline OD'd me on Benadryl. Um, it was like, yeah, this kid will be out by the first quarter just to try to get the swelling go down. I made it through all seven overtimes, but Ole Miss, of course, lost. Yeah, but th- that was the seven overtime game, though, so it's cool. You get to say you were there. Yeah, that one doesn't count. I was just trying to think of scar tissue at this point. Yeah, I um, that also one... would have been a lot cooler if Texas A&M and LSU hadn't co-opted the seven overtime thing two years ago. Though I'm trying to think three of the worst ago? time. Two, three years ago. Now it's crazy. The worst time I've had in a stadium for a Bama loss, I don't. I, dude, I was there for the Johnny Manziel game, which was just 
that sounds I, I mean, brutal. It was ob- like, dude, like I don't know. For some reason, I just and I watched it now like a few times. Like, damn, this Menzel kid's great. It's gonna be cool to watch him. I, at no point leading into that game did I think A&M had a chance to win. And then it was twenty to nothing in the first quarter. Like my friend Audra was sitting next to me, and she started crying. Like you know, literally seven minutes into the game. And then we're kind of coming back, but it's like, I mean, they can score on us whenever they want to. So that was kind of miserable. Obviously, I know Rippy's rolling his eyes because we did win the national championship that year. But it was still like a miserable time. One year, I think the number one for me, though, was 2016. Um, we were playing Kent State. And I was in Kent State. So the, the result of the game was like, you know, not important at all. The day of my 22nd birthday and... Number one, I have no idea how I made it into the stadium, but just I, I did. I, I made it in. Um, and it was, Ross, you may remember this too. I don't know if you were there or not, but that uh, was maybe the hottest game I ever went to as an Alabama student. Um, if it was 2016, I was there, but I'm I'm surprised I'm not coming up with any memories of it. At Kent State, it was Kent State, and it was an 11 a.m. game. But it was it, from the time I woke up to you know basically. Well, then I would like sun, to apologize to my parents for why I do not have any memories of it. <laughs> the, sun, the sun, but from the time I woke up to the time the sun went down, it did not get below like 88 degrees, and not a cloud in the sky, just brutal, oppressive heat. Um, and obviously, being in the state that I was in, due to it being my birthday, um, I've no idea how I made it in. I, I left midway through the second quarter because it's like I, I literally cannot stay here. And Ross, you remember at the time where I was living downtown, and folks who you know are Alabama fans will know this: getting from the stadium to downtown, there are two options you can take. You can either take Paul Bryant or University. I lived on University. And for some reason, in my state, I chose to exit out of the Zoe's Kitchen side of Bryant-Denny and walked all the way down Paul Bryant to get to my Was apartment. this the Witch Witch apartment? Yes. Okay. And it was just – by the time you get downtown, the roads diverge so much in that direction um, in Tuscaloosa. I just added an extra three quarters of a mile to my walk, which in my state in 92-degree heat – um, it's probably one of my worst decisions. So that's probably the worst time I've had in Bryant Denny. And I, I'll put A&M over that because I got to saw, see Johnny Manziel. The Ole Miss game was a classic. Um, but yeah, that's just probably the worst time I've had in Bryant Denny. Just, uh, just losing my mind during the Kent State game. <laughs> Damn, Guys, I do not have any strong memories of that Kent State game. It was an eleven. Stands out, KP, as like a a particularly obviously all of our memories of Brian Denny are positive, and there's been a lot of really wonderful things. Is that there? Are there any like one or two moments or games that stand out as particularly positive or memorable to you? Um, the Auburn comeback in 2014 is number one for me because um, we were getting our asses kicked in that game. Like we couldn't do anything with them. And then we well, just as, eventually... as as a true Blake Sims believer, I refuse to say that our asses were getting kicked. They we were kinda... just, you know, biding our time. Yeah, sure. Um that's <laughs> that stands out as number one for me. Um the twenty fifteen LSU game when we just like our our friend of the pod, Zach Rao, texted me like during that game where we just held Leonard Fournette to like thirty yards, I think. It's like, dude, there are walls everywhere. Like we can't do anything. 
And that's how I choose to remember that game. We just set up walls everywhere. And, like, Fortnite had nowhere to go. That's number one for me as well. Um, I, I will That's say, up there for me. I'm not sure. You know, we, we have a speaker request, Ross. So, oh, do uh, we? Yeah, we do. So let's uh, let's hear from our good friend of the pod, Jack. Jack, what's going on, bud? Friend of the pod, Jack Curtin. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear can you, me. Jack Curtin. How you doing? Perfectly. What's going on? Hey, how are you guys? Well, you I'm know. even better now. Good got a boy, you guys. got a boy Jack on the mic. What's going on, fam? Yeah, I'm fan of the podcast, and you know, uh, I figured if we were talking about times in Bryant Denny, might as well chip in. And uh, yeah, so you have so, a little so, bit of a different perspective, Jack, um, because you you came along a little bit after me. So you're four years in undergrad, and um, you know, going into grad school, we're just like. There was never a time where Alabama was not expected to win it all in, yeah. you know, in your time. And it was a little different for me, like a couple years. It's like, like the Blake Sims year going into it, it's like, ah, well, Alabama's probably not winning it. But that hasn't been the case for you. Yeah, no, it's been wild that half my time here, three out of six years that I've been here, we've won the national championship. So um, that's, well, that's a pretty cool to me personally, to just – Damn, you only got one. Uh, damn, go to grad school. I got, Ross. I got one in my <laughs> yeah, go to grad school, which is 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 so dumb. I did go to grad school. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. Yeah, um, I got three as well. So shout out to Jack. Shout out to us. We both saw. Three. Yeah. good for us. <laughs> it's also like speaking of experiences and Brian Denny. Like it's it's a weird experience because I don't know if you guys remember this, but I was an RA for the football dorm in undergrad, and I'm actually. Mm-hmm back over here now like overseeing the building so it's just weird to like see people you live with and like ride the elevator with just go out and like knock another kid's head off or like go in for the winning touchdown it's just it's always cool to see like one of my residents like not name dropping but just a couple of my residents have done pretty well for themselves and it's just cool to be like oh i rode the elevator (laughs) with that dude wednesday right (laughs) That's um, I, I, I had to go help that dude out when there was a leak in his dorm, and then exactly. on Saturday he you know ran for two hundred and fifty yards. <laughs> yeah, man, just being I'm I'm glad that we I don't think were I knew able that to about you, Jack. Yeah, I knew you were an RA. I didn't know you were back there now, so that's cool, man. Full circle, you know. That's uh, yeah, we exactly. Love to, we love to see the hero's journey. You're on banjo <laughs> CFB. The prodigal um, son returning. Exactly. Oh, that's... <laughs> Jack, your freshman year was the Blake Sims year, right? No, I, my freshman year was the Jake Coker. Um, oh, what was the other guy's name? Derrick um, Henry. Yeah, Cooper no, Bateman. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Cooper Bateman. Cooper Bateman. About. God, there's not Which a. I would like to give a very specific shout out to a very specific family somewhere in North Carolina who has a dog named Cooper, who is not named after Amari Cooper, who is named after Cooper Bateman. What a mistake. I, I, Copper, I, that, is, Copper, that is a fact that will haunt me the rest of my days. Copper Batman, yes. <laughs> Shout uh, out Copper Batman. Um, damn, Jack, I didn't realize that. Okay, so you, you are just a, a blessed individual. Yes. Um, yeah, no, the, the one that stuck out to me and KP, I don't. I think you, you and I might have been sitting near each other during this game or standing, but 
Um, the one that I will always remember is that Mississippi State game when they came in as number one. And oh, the yeah. game was never that close, but there was something about the energy in the stadium that day that, like, I I will never forget that game. Like, that is a unique experience in my mind, as silly as it is among almost all else, that I really, really loved being in Bryant-Tunney that day. You know, the that day was – that entire – and the game, too, was – it's the best of both worlds because we were blowing them out and then it became an instant classic that we still won. Um, but that entire day was great for me. Uh, you got people listening may know, but you guys definitely know our friend Aaron. We had a deal um, during that year. That was our junior year and I still lived on campus. So I would swipe him into the Ridgecrest parking deck and he would reward me with like a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit and like he would bring beers and we, so he gets to, the game's at 2.30 and college game day is there, but at that point we just don't go to game day anymore. Um, so he gets to my dorm at like 8 or 8.30 a.m. Um, we immediately start drinking beer and like eating Chick-fil-A. He brought extras because he knew what kind of day it was going to be. <laughs> um, we bring that, that the one table that Aaron contributed. We walk it over to the quad. Just I don't know how we made it. We took the Tin Whore Hill for no good reason. Um, <laughs> we did absolutely no good reason. There's not a good reason on this earth to take None. that 10 more hill. At least not to game day. Um, I mean, not to the hole. quad. Um, but we just, and we, it's just like one of the most fun tailgates ever. We get into the, I don't know how I make it into the stadium, but I do. <laughs> when I say that, I literally mean just like my memory from being on the quad to being in the scene section, just gone. Um, but we make it in, and then it's like it, like Dak, Dak Prescott's still there, and at that point, Dak was like the Heisman favorite. Um, and we just like you know, we we squeeze them out for two and a half quarters, and then they make their run, and then Blake Sims has the drive of his career. I wouldn't say that the LSU game was that, but maybe the second biggest drive of his career. He just you know he makes he scrambles for like three first downs, and um, he throws a pretty nifty pass. I don't know how he fit it in the window to TJ Yeldon for another first down and we score which was huge. On the next possession like Landon Collins picks it off and the place goes nuts. It's like just one of the most fun games I've ever had. And afterwards I went, I took a nap in one of my other friend's dorms and then I went to Bear Trap underage and didn't get ID'd. It was a perfect <laughs> day. <laughs> perfect day. I actually I have a, a weirdly I have two oddly specific memories about that game. And KP, I appreciate you bringing that up about Aaron coming over to your dorm that day, which is that uh, that year was the year KP and I met. Yes. Before I, I joined the uh, organization on campus, which which the three of us met. Um, so I remember KP lived across the hall from me that year. And there was a weekend that my mom was in town and we were leaving and I saw the guy leave the apartment across the hall and I recognized him and I couldn't place him and I didn't know why. And I later figured out it was from, because he was all over Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I sort of knew he was there and I was like, you know, I don't want to say anything. He doesn't know who I am, but it would be nice to become friends with this guy across the hall. You know, maybe eight weeks later, he and I were walking back from different classes and we became friends. Um, but I have that distinct memory and 
KP, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the one with the better memory. Was that the same weekend that uh, you wore the same outfit as a UAPD alert? It was. It was. So I remember um, you wearing that, and then later that night, I saw it, because you tweeted out, like, the word-for-word email that went out to all of us at the UAPD alert that was like, hey, there's, like, a six-foot African-American man in a red shirt, jeans, and, like, tan jacket. And you tweeted out a picture of you in your game day outfit, which was a red shirt, jeans, and, like, a beige blazer. (laughs) And I remember thinking that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And it, like, solidified in my mind, yes, this was definitely the guy who I saw this morning as I was leaving my dorm with my mom to go head to the quad, like, he was walking out of the apartment in front of me, and I was certain it was that guy, and I wanted to become friends with him. Um, so that's a very positive one that I was very glad I got to become friends with KP later. But the other one that is the same game and also related to what it was is that uh, I don't know how either of you have experienced this, but I grew up um, very respectful of my parents, not like afraid of them or anything like that, but very courteous of them. And when I got to college, my parents became much more relaxed of like, Hey, you know, like I'm going to go hang out with your friends. KP I know has been offered a beer or several by at least one of my parents, probably both. Um, and, but I like had a very strict rule of like, I do not ever want to be drunk around my parents. When I was younger, I never saw my parents drunk. I never wanted to act a fool in front of my parents, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Now, KP knows that I am a very pessimistic football fan. Um, I prevent myself from feeling upset by always imagining the worst. As much as an optimistic person as I am in real life, that I remember there was a moment in that Mississippi State game that it was – you know, like a minute and a half left or so, like enough time that there was, it wasn't over. And we were up 24, 12, something like that. KP will know the exact number. Against and Mississippi State, Mississippi State scored. Yeah. Um, it was close. 25, 13. So you were close. So they brought it within one score when they scored. Um, and there was about a minute and a half, two minutes left. And it was definitely enough time to like if they like hit an onside kick and like decided to go for it they could have come back possibly won but i remember them scoring and just being so overcome with emotions and still a little bit drunk from tailgating that i was like it doesn't matter and i don't care that you scored like <laughs> i don't remember exactly what i shouted but i remember as soon as it was over i was like oh my god i am publicly drunk next to my mother <laughs> and it is the single moment in my life that I will like stand out and I'm sure it'll happen again at some point but that moment remains very clear in my mind when I was realizing that I was acting not myself because I was drunk and I was right next to my mom and I was like oh dear god this has never happened before this can never happen again so that's that Mississippi State game has has as a several very uh, as we learn from Inside Out, core memories for me. So that will always be a great time yeah, that, it, I, that, that I think back on. It's a great game because, like, obviously, you know, that was the first game they played C-Murder in the stadium. Uh, 
Cyrus oh, Jones. Yes, it Cyrus, was. Cyrus Jones bodied a receiver that had like six inches and like 50 pounds and just bodied him in the end zone for an interception. Is um, that to run your ass over? It was. Rest in peace, King. Um, but yeah, Cyrus, like little, little bitty Cyrus Jones bodied him in the end zone. Um, we basically cut a wrestling promo on Dak Prescott for, for the majority <laughs> of the game. Um, it was just, you know, just a perfect day. Weather was perfect. You know, anytime you can wear a blazer in a student section and n- never feel too hot, you know, yeah, without having out. to cut the lining out of it. Exactly. It was a good weather day. That's, for sure. that's, the, that's the perfect, like, you know, late October, early November. You're never cold in the stadium, but if you wear a blazer, you're not going to sweat through it. Exactly. That's, that's ideal. Yeah, 2.30 games in November in Tuscaloosa are just, you know, that, that, that's my uh, – I, I would like heaven to look like that, like a 2.30 kickoff in Tuscaloosa in November. Folks, um, we thanks for listen, thank you for listening this long. Um, obviously, we are live right now, but this will go up um, on our normal podcasting platforms tomorrow. Um, this did become basically an episode of Brian and Colonial near the end of it. Um, so thank you <laughs> thank you all for bringing that back. Um, folks, any last words before we sign off here? No, not for me. Um, thanks for having me, and I look forward to it. Next week, if you do it, or next time you're you're on. Perfect. We will be on every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time. Um, folks, thanks again for listening to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul. Um, these were our fabulous co-hosts and friends of the pod, Jack Curtin and Ross Mulkern. Uh, y'all take care, and we'll see y'all soon. I'm, I'm glad to have provided the best relief appearance since Koji Uehara. You know what? I, you know, God, God damn it, Ross. That's-